Hi, this is Marnie with Maxim and Marnie. This is our podcast that I get to do um, that celebrates the people in the church that I worship at. Um, And Maxim is a synonym for truth. Um, And what I think is super important is to share our truths and our vulnerability and our stories with one another, especially in a faith community where it helps us to relate and connect with one another better. So I'm really excited to welcome our guest today, um, Lane Lewis. Welcome, sir. Thank you. Good to be here. Uh, welcome, welcome. So I'm excited because I like when I do these and I don't know all the answers because then it's more fun for me to ask them. So where did you grow up? So I grew up in the Chicagoland area in Des Plaines. Um, I, I like to talk about my humble beginnings, too. I grew up in a uh, trailer park, uh, a lot of bad synonyms with trailer parks, but I, I say it's a part of who I am, but grew up in this small trailer in Des Plaines, Illinois. Uh, so immediately, you're right. I jumped to stereotypes. So were your parents smokers and drinkers? Were they both there? Were they present? Were they working? I just think of all that's what I picture. I picture kind of unrest and, and not safe. I don't know. Please yep. correct me. And we fit that stereotype perfectly, unfortunately. And, and again, it was only only half the family. My father, my, my biological father, as I reference him, I was uh, born under a different name, but was adopted when my mom remarried. But uh, uh, my biological father was an alcoholic and uh, smoked, so he fits your smoking, drinking, and uh, the, you know, living in the trailer was a way for my mom to make ends meet. And uh, uh, you know, my mom was kind of the rock that uh, gave me a foundation, even though in that setting I was afraid to bring people home from school, uh, was uncomfortable, uh, was very shy and very quiet, very reserved. As a result, kept to myself. But my mom always put good values and a good foundation in there that let me get to where I am today in life. Where was she from? So she grew up in uh, Maywood. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, my dad grew up in Hillside. Yeah. Uh, so Chicagoland area, too. And um, of modest means, too. No one in her family had ever been to college. And and that was something she wanted uh for her children was to be able to send them to college and, you know, the American dream of doing something better, different, right? And 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 I would say, you know, I love my mom to death. She did a great job of uh, raising us and building a foundation that we could grow into the people we are. Yeah. So who else were your siblings in that situation? So I had uh, two uh, birth siblings. So my brother, I'm the oldest of three. My brother was in the middle, only 15 months younger. And then my sister, five years younger. And so all three of you lived in that trailer park home. And then your mom met a stepfather who adopted all three of you. Yes. So yes. what a good man. Yes. And, and that's been a great story too. So I was eight when my mom actually divorced uh, and then 13 when she remarried. And yes, he uh, one month or two months after marrying, adopted all three of us. And so we took on a new name and, and, uh, um, you know, had a new beginning of sorts, if you will. So you were 13, which seems like a really poignant time in your life. And you were able to switch to dad. Yes. Uh, you know, so my adopted father, Norm, ended up to me being a, a, a real father in a way, a father mm-hmm. I didn't have mm-hmm. with the first one. Uh, you know, we had a great relationship. Uh, you know, he helped, I think, bring me out of my shell of the first years of my life. And in those formative teen years, right, where all kinds of things are changing in you and around you. And and uh, 
it, it just layered onto that foundation that my mom put there, bringing me out, you know, having a relationship with a father. I remember going on, you know, camping, canoeing trips. Uh, you know, it was just very, very, uh, very special and great to have that, that kind of a father. Yeah. What a good man. So then you're such an, um, intelligent and educated man. Um, is your mother still with us? She is. Does she find you uppity? No, she doesn't at all. (laughs) No, she, she, much to my wife's chagrin, Joanna, she, you know, my mom is, uh, over the top bragging proud of her son. So (laughs) (laughs) Johanna needs to, you know, bring me back down to earth when we're with my mom. (laughs) Yeah. So you, um, then live there and go to high school and then what college do you go to? So I went to the university of Illinois as an electrical engineer, studied electrical engineering, which was extremely, extremely challenging. You know, in, in, Eighth grade, I was a valedictorian. High school, I was number 10 in my class. Then I got to college, and now I'm on my own coming out of my shell. And my freshman year of college was awesome. Had a great time. <laughs> I don't know how much I learned, but I had a great time, <laughs> and, and it was very different. And, and then suddenly, you know, when you sit down and you start it at Illinois, they say, look to the person to your right and your left. They won't be there when you graduate. Oh, what a what a fine way to welcome you, right? Because but, uh, why people don't sustain the grades and they drop out, or what? Absolutely, and and there was truth in it. I mean, I struggled like I had never struggled with with coursework, and you know some of the upper level electrical engineering classes. I mean, you get thirty percent on a test, and that was an excellent score, right? It was just oh, so different. Wow. wow. And so when you were growing up with your three siblings, was their faith, was their church a part of that upbringing? Yes, absolutely. And my mom, she uh, always had us attending church. And to me, it was seeds that were planted. uh, You know, that's part of that foundation I referenced before. I mean, we went to Sunday school, we went to church every single Sunday, right? And and, uh, so that was just a part of what we did on Sundays. But I also think, for me personally, there were all kinds of uh, lessons that were planted there that have come out throughout my life, you know, and I've continued on the faith journey to grow, but but they were planted and started even in this somewhat chaotic initial life with that, you know, that stable foundation being, you know, a, a faith and a faith formation of some sort, uh, even though I didn't know exactly what it was at that point. What tradition of faith or denomination did you grow up in? So it was Lutheran. Uh, it was uh, more of a Missouri Synod Lutheran. I love the ELCA now, but... Uh, well, the ELCA know. didn't exist then anyways. <laughs> like, so, there you go. <laughs> yeah. Right. And so do you... Ha- that's interesting about how you say the seeds of faith you see reflected now. Is there one specifically that you have an example of that you really saw? Yeah, I I think so. You know, after graduating and and then I continued education after I graduated, but got my first job, I was very interested in moving into sales. I, I had done an internship with IBM my senior year in college, and they had never laid anybody off prior to that. And so they were looking at ways of moving engineers into sales as a way of not ha- to lay people off. In general, I don't think that's a good idea, but... <laughs> I saw it and I said, now that's what I want to do. I want to get into sales, right? So I moved into sales and and sales is very measurable, right? You know, every single quarter, there's a number you need to meet. Every year, there's a a number to meet. And every year, it starts over again and you go back to zero. But one of the biggest deals I had ever done 
I thought was in. I, I really did. And, and as a result, all my management thought it was in, and it was a big deal. And big deals in a public company are not good to miss. And I remember, I mean, we were weeks away from getting it. And then I got the phone call. We're not getting it. It's like, oh. Uh, how do you how do you tell anybody you're not getting it now? And and I had to tell you know management right away that we weren't getting it. But I mean, you think about the gut punch that was in you know in sales. But what came over me was an amazing piece. And I, and I remember to this day, I started singing, "A mighty fortress is our God." And it was oh. y- y- you know wow. this amazing disappointment. I just surrendered. And that song kept playing over and over in my head. And it truly got me through, you know, (laughs) management, here's what's happening and and everything else. But uh, it, to me, was an example of, you know, the seeds that were planted coming out when you need them most. That's Mm -hmm. cool. And your pride. Yeah. That went down the toilet, too. (laughs) So how old were you when that happened? So that was, uh, let's see, that was probably... Uh, right around uh, maybe 32 years old, 33 years old, 34, somewhere in there, early 30s. Yeah, that's a big deal. So um, let's back up a smidge. So you said you graduated from U of I, then you got a job, and electrical engineering, I picture you like putting a lawnmower together, like an engine (laughs) connecting wires. Is this the wrong vision? Yeah, and and, and uh, everybody thought I could fix a TV after graduating as an electrical engineer. Yes. I had no idea how to fix a TV still today, right? But yes. But so no, that was uh, that that was not what you would do. And and I ended up taking a non traditional path because you know in the process of doing this internship with IBM and seeing what they were talking about moving people into sales. I realized I did not want to be a hardcore engineer, if you will. Okay. So I very quickly, you know, set my eyes on moving into sales. And so I, I started going to BU. I had moved to Boston, uh, was working for Digital Equipment Corporation out there as an engineer, but was quickly trying to figure out how I move into sales. Okay. Much to my parents' disappointment, who had put me to school. Sure. <laughs> put me through school for an electrical engineer. But, but within two years... I moved into a you know a technical sales role, and then two years after that into a full sales. And I've always sold to engineers, so it was kind of leveraged. You know, I got my MBA, gave me a little more of a business background to support the sales uh, sales career, if you will. But uh, then, you know, quickly moved into sales and out of hardcore engineering in the cube. Not necessarily putting lawnmowers back together, but you know some of the definitely deep technical schematic drawings and all kinds of things that electrical engineers do. No, I I I I personally needed something else, and so quickly moved to something else. Yeah, and listening to you, I can't help but think of the high school kids now or the college kids who are asked as a freshman or sophomore in high school <laughs> to say where they're going to go to college and also then make sure you're picking the college that has the career that you want to do. And listening to you, I just think that's so um, wrong. I don't think yeah. it's a good thing to tell a 16 or an 18 or a 20-year-old, hey, this is your path for life because yeah. look at you. So I think your story is common. Yeah. Yeah, and and in fact, you know, 
today, it's over 50% of entering college students do not have a good idea of what they want to do, right? Yes. And it was amazing, you know, as our daughters, you know, were getting ready for college, the programs that are now designed to help people figure that out, you don't need to know first year in college, but they have programs to help you try and figure out, you know, what it is you do want to specialize yeah, What interests in. you have, yeah. what your strengths yeah. are. Yeah. And clearly you becoming an engineer, I wish, I wish for you, you could have got into business and had more fun and less homework during those first <laughs> four years, but it clearly led the path that you were supposed to go on anyways, because yes. then you can speak that language probably and sell better than people that don't know engineers, right? Yes. yes. Yeah. So it aided in your success. I just like your ability to see an opportunity that was there and not be discouraged. Uh, cause you could have been discouraged about the downsizing they were going to have in, in engineers and instead say, no, I can do that. And look at that as an opportunity rather than, yeah. uh, a the downfall. Setback. Yeah. And, yeah. It was, and it was a better fit for me That's personally, awesome. as opposed to, you know, going to the cube every day, working yeah. on some hardcore technical detail, right? Yes. I get energy from being around people, mm-hmm. but then being able to relate to engineers. I mean, to me, it was a, it was just a great match for me. And and you do want to, you know, try and figure that out so you don't get pigeonholed into something you don't really like either. Mm. Right. And at the same time, you also need to sometimes. I see this today. It's challenging for people. They want to be CEOs. Take the extreme. They want to be CEOs right out of college. Well, that's not going to happen either. That's not <laughs> right. realistic either. So. There may be that core foundation you need to build and, you know, some level of experience you need to get before you can get to the ideal state, too. Right, 100%. So you mentioned you're in Boston. So how long were you on the East Coast? So we were out there five years. And did it, you pack your car? Did I? Uh, yes, I did. <laughs> did you gain any of that accent or no? No. You know, with the Midwest accent, yeah. it is very different than, yeah. than the Boston. And no, we did not. You know, in, in the five years we were out there, we more laughed at it when we heard it. And especially when you went downtown Boston, you packed the car. And, yeah. It literally yeah. took me I 60 seconds it. to figure out what you just said, Marty. <laughs> 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 I'm like, did he what? I, did, I, got I it. went I got real it. thick. I just watched Goodwill Hunting. Yeah. Um, so you said we. So did you meet your wife at U of I? We did, yes. We actually got engaged, I believe it was our senior year. So then she went off to grad school at Kansas State while I went off to start working in Boston. So we had a long-distance relationship for a year and a half before we actually got married, too. So smart, smart attracts smart. Yeah. Um, so then what led you to leave Boston? So after five years, you know, we started seriously thinking about the family and we found ourselves going back to Chicago land for Christmas, for Thanksgiving. So using up all our vacations on the holidays just to get back to family. And, and as we got ready to start our family, I said, you know, we want to go back where, where family is and friends that we grew up with. And, and so it was really about starting the family. And then you ended up in Naperville. Yeah, and so then right away, did you guys attend church here, or did you have other church homes? Or we did. Uh, uh, so, and while we were in Boston, we attended an Episcopal church, and we've always been very active in the church. It was important to both of us our, our faith journeys, and and so it exposed me to a little different faith. That's where Johanna grew up was in an Episcopal church, and then when we came here, we actually did a little bit of church shopping, mm-hmm. if you will, attending mm-hmm. different churches and. And it was amazing to us how different, you know, one Episcopal church is to another. And, yes. And what really grabbed us when we stopped in at Our Saviors was, you know, here's this relatively large congregation. 
And Pastor Ann came up to us and said, oh, are you visiting with us today? And we were major impressed with that, right? Right, right. <laughs> That in this large church, you could be recognized yep. and someone would come up to you and welcome you like that. And and then we continued to attend and learn a little bit more about it. And no turning back. So we've been members since 1993 of Our Saviors. Yeah, a long time. Yeah. And you guys have two daughters. Mm-hmm. Yep. And they are college age and older. Older now, both of them. Yeah. And so how would you describe, if you had to sum up their personalities, um, how would you describe your daughters? Wow. Sum it up. And and they've changed, believe it or not. Oh, act- I would like to hear that. They, they've actually done a flip-flop, right? And, and if they listen to this, <laughs> we'll see what kind of reaction <laughs> Will I get. Will they concur? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Like they're self-aware enough yeah. to know their personalities, yeah. probably. When the Well, the older one, who's 25 now, you know, she was probably mature beyond her years throughout high school, right? Uh-huh. We didn't have some of the same uh, challenges we had with the younger one, Valerie, and, and uh, in high school. But then now they've kind of flipped where Valerie, 22, uh, she is probably further in developing a relationship and settling down. And, and Kristen is still trying to figure out, you know, what, it, what, what career is yes. that I want to have. And she hasn't gotten into a relationship that's solid that's somewhat frustrating to her. And, yeah. and so she's, you know, struggling with that. Why Valerie, who had different struggles in her teen years is now getting to a much better place too. Yeah. Interesting. Isn't it? Yeah. Uh, how, what would you say nature versus nurture? Um, having raised two children. Nature versus nurture in terms of... Like their person, like how they ended up who they are. Like I think when I was in college, I was like 80% nurture. Like it's all about the choices you make as a parent. And then after having children, I would argue 80% nature. Yeah. I just think from my experiences, (laughs) they just, I I think they were just, they seem to be born who they are. And I just helped corral that. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so if I had to say in hindsight, I think it is mostly nature, but there's a lot of nurturing in there that... Yeah, well, that's... I think you have some of this hindsight of they're out. And so what? The traditions, the culture that you created as a family, like, resonates with them still. Yeah. And and I firmly believe what you instill in them at a young age, uh, because in the teen years, you do kind of lose influence. Not kind of. You lose influence. (laughs) (laughs) And, And so... There is a bit of a turning away from mm-hmm. what you raised, but you just hope those things stuck. And then as they get older, you see them going back to some of those foundational mm. things, which you, you know, some days you're praying for that mm-hmm. day that it can't come soon enough. But it's it's really happened with both of them as well, right? That, you know, whatever ups and downs they've been through, they have come back to more of that solid base and values you tried to instill when they were young and influenceable and listening to and sometimes worshiping every word you said. <laughs> That's not true in the teen years. <laughs> do, I don't know. I don't know your daughters. Did they attend um, the youth group here or do Eagles Wings or anything like that? They did. Yes, they did. And, and uh, so they went to Sunday school throughout, um, were confirmed here, attended uh, the youth group. And in the case of uh, all, all the way through confirmation, it was mandatory yep. from mom and dad. And and then, you know, Kristen, the, the older one said, okay, and I'm, I'm done. But we said, no, you need to go to at least one uh, high school gathering. Uh-huh. And, and she went to one and then she went for the next three years. Oh. And that, that we absolutely loved. Now, now both of them, 
in their own faith journeys now have kind of turned away from faith. Uh, and, you know, we just pray about it. No, for right. the day they come back to that right. because they are, you know, who they are and going through their own journeys. But again, we tried to give them that foundation that we hope and pray they too come back to. And, and my older daughter, our older daughter now, she is uh, living with <clears throat> grandma down in Central State Williamsfield population 600, oh. which is a little bit scary, her, the thought of her moving down there. But, you know, all things happen for a reason, right? And and we just hope to see the good that comes of it. But one of the things that is really neat is Kristen started going to church with my mom. They just got a new pastor, and she just loves the new pastor. Oh, it's cool. That yeah, and she's in the she's joined the bell choir now. And, oh, and so I love that. maybe, hopefully. Yeah. Well, my, my thing too is. Like in college, I did not go to to chapel at all for the first year, uh, and I was at a Lutheran school and, and having an awesome time talking about theology in the classroom, but just couldn't practice myself. And it's because I needed that freedom, and then I needed to like find what was comfortable for me, mm-hmm. and to be able to give your children their the ability without guilt to yeah. be on their own search. And then like yeah, those things happen, yeah. and it's kind of cool yes. when it does. So yeah. yeah. I think it's really cool. How did you um, in implement or have or intentionally choose to bring faith into your marriage or your marriage life? Um, so, I mean, we both grew up in the church, right? So when we got married, we got married in the church in the church that Johanna grew up in. Um, and when we moved to Boston or when she came out, I was already out there. You know, we looked for a church home right away. I mean, it was just part of uh, you know, who we were and mm-hmm. how we were raised and we had to have a faith family, right? And and out there it was great because we didn't know a lot of people, right? So one of the really nice things about a faith uh, faith community to both of us is the the family you've... Connections, yeah, yes. Yeah, absolutely. The connections you make, the support you can get through all of life's highs and lows and, and, and it's a way to quickly get integrated into a community like us in Boston, you know, where you don't know anybody, uh, very quickly get integrated into a community to have a larger network very quickly of people with similar values, good values that you can feel comfortable with fairly quickly, right? Um, being a member of this community, what, through the years you've been here for a really long time, what have you served in? What are things you've experienced that um, stand out? Yes, so... Both of us have done all kinds of things. <clears throat> Johanna's always a little more of the quiet ministry. She started in choir. Uh, she plays the flute regularly still in church. Uh, uh, was a part of, uh, I forget what the programs were called when the ki- the girls were in school. You know, moms uh, that would meet and do care packages and things like that. Care moms. Yeah, care moms. For, uh, for me, it started with, you know, ushering right away, you know, day one. But then I've been on the evangelism board. I was a youth mentor when the girls were in sixth, seventh, and eighth grade. I did uh, youth mentoring then, loved it, thought it was fantastic. I've uh, been very closely connected to the Africa ministry, on church council, chairing church council. He was chair when I got my call here. Um, <laughs> he also is one of those people who talks about money and giving it to church in a way that I've never heard. So I would love for you to talk a little bit about that. I was on a, I don't really even know what that was, a team to talk about people having the opportunity to give and kind of 
um, spitballing and sharing ideas on how we can make that more accessible. And I remember being in that meeting and being like, I don't think you should speak to someone or call them or do that ever. I think that's so awkward and weird. (laughs) And you were like, some people want you to do it. And I was like, mind blown. (laughs) Can you, I don't know if those are confidential conversations with people or if you can share some of those exciting ones or, or how are you how'd you get confident so confident yeah. to to, to want to say let's talk about money yeah and and some of it <laughs> is perhaps an occupational hazard or fallout right what i do and i've started to do you know from very early on was in sales you're talking about money all the time right and asking people for the order and closing it is important and getting comfortable with that, accepting rejection, because some people won't be happy with it, but other people will thank you and say, I thought you'd never ask. And, and so you get all kinds of reactions. But so a lot of what I do has given me you know, confidence to be comfortable. And again, I think the church is such a great faith community. And, and what I think is so important Everybody has different giving levels, right? And you're, you know, we need to get everyone on the path to giving and grow givers, right? That to me is the most key, right? We don't need to expect, you know, $10,000, $100,000 gifts from 25-year-olds. Uh, but if we can start start some regular giving and then continue to grow those givers as their faith grows, as your desire to give back grows, as you you know, are satisfied in certain accomplishments in your life and your desire to give back. Uh, You grow your giving. And as you come into your high income years, you grow your giving and you're always thinking of your faith community and doing it. And that that's the flip side too. You know, we talked about, you know, the horrible situation when I lost a big deal. Well, then the biggest deal of my life that I won, and it's still to this day, you know, here it is almost, we're coming up on 2020. This goes back to 2001 was the biggest W-2 I've ever had from a deal I won then. But my first reaction was, oh my gosh, look at this check. Now, who do I give to? I want to give this much to Samaritan Interfaith. We want to give this much to the Naperville Park District. How old were you? So that was, uh, you know, 20 years ago. So, you know, mid-30s. How do you, why? Why were you so... um, Others centered. How were you so aware of what giving can be such a gift? Like, how do you think was? Did your mom give and speak of that a lot? So, so she definitely gave. We had the the envelopes you put in the plate yeah. every day. Now I advocate electronic giving, but uh, <laughs> we had the we you know we had those. So I had that example right of giving, and I really feel you know it's when you are blessed, and I feel blessed, right? Blessed in so many ways. Uh, once you feel that blessing, it kind of flips and you want to give back. Uh, um, and, and that's definitely the case for me, right? And having them blessed is, okay, how can I give back? How can I share that? How can I spread that? I think that's part of the comfort I have with having conversations with people is just talking about the blessings and how we pay it forward. And 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 sometimes, to, to your earlier comment, I mean, people just aren't asked. They have the means and they've never had that conversation about giving back and paying it forward and what it means to other people and how it impacts other people and, you know, how you strengthen the community in doing that. And so you, you can be thanked. You can ask somebody for $100,000 and they will thank you and they will happily 
give that, you know, and, and, and again, that's not to say everybody can, but it becomes a very comfortable conversation when you are blessed and you want to give back in whatever, uh, at whatever level you can. So I got to ask a question because I, I, I love your comfortableness with it. One of the conversations we want to have here at our Saviors, and Marnie, uh, actually, I have a picture of Marnie and Brett um, in my office uh, helping us talk about giving last year. But like, how do you talk to people about giving for the first time? Because they're freaked out about it, I think. Or they have past histories of the church maybe asking in the wrong way. So like, what would your approach be? Were you ever asked um, <laughs> in yeah. a positive way, maybe? Yeah, and it's definitely not one of guilt. I, I think, to me, that's some of the old church, right? You were mm-hmm. supposed to tithe, and you should be guilty if you're not. Approaching anyone and trying to guilt them into giving is the absolute wrong way that turns people off, turns people off from the church, turns people off from any kind of ask, right? right. And, and so that I do think in the past, churches were a little bit guilty of that. And it is more one of having a conversation and I think it's sharing our faith stories um, and building relationships and being comfortable to talk about our blessings and how we help bless others, right, and, and ultimately pay it forward. And sometimes people aren't ready. You know, they, where they are in their own life, in their own faith journey, uh, they haven't achieved that, and that's okay, right? But now you've just planted the seed for when they are ready, hmm. and they did have a good conversation, and they will remember that and and come back to it. Or, or you know, we come back to it when we revisit in two years, three years, or whatever it is, and they say, I remember that conversation we had, and you know what? This has happened, and I've been blessed, and yes, I want to be a part of this now too, right? And And so it's making it a very comfortable conversation, meeting people where they are, recognizing where they are, not judging them in any way. And the time may be right now or not, and and that's okay. Can (laughs) you tell me about your favorite conversation that you've ever had? Like, can you recall one that it was just like exciting or you were blown away by the generosity or blown away by a first-time giver or blown away by somebody who really stretched themselves and... Yeah, and, and having been connected to uh, at least three major appeals now, I've, I've done lots of visits where, where we are making some of the larger asks. And and I, I remember one, and I'm going to leave all names out of yeah. it, right? But, but yeah. uh, um, it, it, so I was supporting someone else who was not comfortable having this kind of visit, but she knew the person we were visiting very well. And she was so nervous with that, you know, asking that question. And part of it was, you know, me sharing what Johanna and I were doing and then her being able to make the ask of the person we were visiting. I'm almost letting names slip here a couple of times. (laughs) But uh, uh, he kind of preempted her ask because he could see where this was going and this what this was building to. And he very quickly volunteered a, a six-figure gift. And, and uh, uh, the lady that was going to make the ask, I mean, she was just so happy that yes. it was out and it was over. Yes. But it, yes. and, and happy that he had no issue with it. Yeah. Here, you know, he was offering a six-figure gift with no issues at all, right? Yeah. And, and uh, 
because he, he because he could and he felt good about our faith community and wanted to be a part of it. That's Do you think the fear? Because I've done one of these conversations with Lane and and I was similar to this uh, person. I I was right just all in my head and right. I had twists in my stomach. And I wonder if like the fear from my angle is that we have a relationship with these people. And that they would be hurt that we asked either that much or like that we would take it too far or that there's a mistrust with what we would do with it. That's also the possibility. Um, so I kind of want to defend them to be like, oh, man, I've been in that room. I've had those feelings. But it's awesome when yeah. people respond in a positive way, as they should. Like we, we do want to build a community of trust. It's yeah. just it's hard. Yeah. And and I've had people say no, too. And yeah. And nope. We're not going to give everything. And that's okay, too. Well, thank you for your consideration. Yeah. And then I've had people that will call back after they said no, and they said, well, we thought about what we talked about a little more, and this is what we're going to do, right? And it's all just being thankful and appreciative and, and no guilt, uh, you know, meeting people where they are and... and it works and sometimes it doesn't. <laughs> well, it's just interesting because I do think generosity and giving can be like really exciting and fun. I think if we don't look at it that way with the church, like a crisis happens and you're like, oh, I want to give. My cousin's doing an important run to honor a really good friend. I'm going to give money to bless her. Mm-hmm. My example that I think I used from that picture was like if we go out to dinner and Brett Lindbergh tips like 40 or 50%, I am literally like hot for him. Like I'm like, this is so awesome. And like, you feel so excited for the server to get it and find out that they're like, they made their night, like they're done. Um, Like that can be so exciting. So I think it's interesting how sometimes, you know, in church, we don't look at it that way because it does feel not that you necessarily do it because it feels so good, but it, that is a plus. It, it really does. feels so good does, yeah. to be fully financially engaged in a situation. Yes, and yeah. I just I just totally wrote a sermon, but it, it's we're in parable season, and it's a really confusing parable from Jesus coming up, um, where essentially at the very end, it's who do you worship, God or or money? And it's, it's such a confusing parable to the point where I think what Jesus is saying is like, you know, you you have the ability with these gifts to do good do good with it. Like it's, uh, when, when you, when you have that change the world with it and mm-hmm. know who you really worship is mm-hmm. God. And you have this uh, ability to, to not give money wealth, that, that sort of power. But when you do have it, use it for good, change yeah. the world. Yeah. And knowing, having this conversation with you and knowing that in your early thirties, you intentionally got a lottery gift from working hard and you thought immediately to give it away so to me, that means like your identity is and, not... And, and we didn't give it all away, well, by the no, way. No, no, no. <laughs> no, but I mean, you gave away. Yeah, yeah, yes. no, I know you didn't give it all away. Um, <laughs> let's not get crazy. Um, but no, to me, it means like, where is your identity you think stemming from? Where do you find your self-esteem if it's not in your salary or in your bonus check or how... Because I feel like a lot of men would say, I've made it. Look at me. Not that they people don't talk about it. They don't talk about their paychecks, but do you know what I'm saying? I do. Uh, You know, so I don't know if it's a Myers-Briggs personality profile kind of answer or whatever, but people are different. You're absolutely right. I mean, why would anybody run to be the president of the United States when you are on call 24-7, you get gray hair, it ages you, but that's a 
that is absolutely a power ego. Um, yes, it, it's potentially wanting to do good, but it is a completely different drive than me, for example. I have no desire to do that, and, and it takes a different kind of person. And I, I think we do. We have different personalities, and there's different affiliations, uh, you know, different things that, you know, make people feel good. Uh, getting energy from being around people is something that I, I truly get a high on, right? I, I would much rather go out than sit home by myself, right? And, and that's not true for everyone either, right? And, and so there are just different personality profiles and, and the DNA that makes us up that, you know, makes us all a little bit unique and different and, and uh, gives us different reactions to different things too. What is your favorite thing in worship? Um, coming back to the getting energy from people, um, I mean, it's I, I like coming to worship, being connected to the faith community. And I don't want to say this is the most important part, but I love both the socializing before and after the service as much as I do the service, right? Mm-hmm. I enjoy the music. I enjoy the, you know, the sermons. But you know, that it's important to, to me personally to be connected at the beginning and the end, the, the socializing that goes on pre and post service is, is really I important. love that. Now people are really going to know your story. Hopefully they'll listen and they'll feel really <laughs> well, connected to you. And don't you think, okay, so I agree with you. Community is extremely important. And what we've done in, um, in this church culture has we've set up these pews, these rows facing one direction, where then a few people singing up front or a person is going the opposite direction. We've set up a lecture hall rather than a table to sit and talk to one another, which is why like, I've always loved when you come to Brewing Questions. Um, We're around a table like the original Christian group, uh, asking questions, being in community together. So it absolutely makes sense that that would be one of the key components to what we do um, and why that it's so strong and reminds you every time you're you're engaged there because we were never intended to be sitting facing one direction and, and having just one person speak. It was always a conversation. So I like, I like your angle. Yeah. And, and the challenge with a large group though, is how, how do you create that kind of environment (laughs) in the service? Right. I I don't know. No, a church was never intended to be this large. I mean, like they were meant to be communities of 12. That's, uh, you know, when it was too big, you know, Jesus, you know, you know, fed, you know, huge crowds and they followed. But I really think that there were smaller groups within the big group. Mm-hmm. So that's why I think small groups are important or your community. So um, uh, serving on certain teams, you're, you're around people that know you. And that's where that's where it really happens rather than the masses. You'll never mm-hmm. you'll never really connect there. Yeah. Have you been a part of a small group? Yes, uh, we both have, right? Uh, together and separately. Yeah, men's, couples. Yeah, and we did uh, a couple of book uh, groups over Studies. the years. Yes, uh, the, the dinners. Uh, so a lot, a lot of different groups, yeah. What would be your dream for our church for the next five years if you could dream outside of the box or imagine fantastically? Yeah, unfortunately, one of the dynamics in the church, right, is declining membership. And, and so, you know, my absolute hope and dream for, for our saviors and our faith community here is that we could stay healthy. Uh, maybe it's accelerate our growth, but, but grow anyway, continue to grow, continue to bring new people into the faith community and not have that declining attrition that's happening 
church-wide, right? Denomination-wide, you, na- you name it, right? It's happening. And, and so, uh, you know, really <clears throat> thinking outside of the box in certain ways about, you know, what we need to do differently to compete with all the distractions in life today, including the cell phones in everyone's pocket that ding and beep, you know, nonstop. What, what are the creative ways that we can create an environment that people want to come to and prioritize above all that other that to me hope and dream right and and for me personally one of the invitations i've recently received to be on the lstc the lutheran school of theology in chicago the the foundation board there got me thinking differently it's another one of those ways to give back i mean where do our pastors come from right mm-hmm. we don't always think about that and they're having the same challenges as the churches and uh so I'm looking at it as another opportunity to give back in a different way that hopefully continues to feed and make sure the churches remain healthy and viable and ideally growing, not shrinking, right? So. Uh, you mentioned cell phones. Do you uh, intentionally unplug every day over the week? So the only time I'm unplugged, I do not sleep with my phone. Most everyone has it next to their bed. I put the phone away at night, and then we don't touch it during dinner either. But otherwise, I too am connected all the time. Yeah, but dinner's so good. <laughs> dinner's yeah. good. Because what do you do now? You're still in sales? I am, yeah. And when, I don't know, how old are you? So uh, 55 in two weeks. Oh, cinco, cinco. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's a fun age. Um, so you're in the thick of it. Um, do you guys have any fun trips or explorations planned? So we're winding down. I mean, we, for the last few years, we've been doing a lot of fun trips. We just finished one with a couple of other members from the church as well as some from the running group. We were in South America this summer. I saw some yeah. Facebook pictures. Yeah. Tell me about Tell that. Us. Yeah, Machu Picchu and Galapagos Island, both absolutely spectacular. Is and Galapagos Island the place with all of the seals? Yes, it's uh, the sea lions. Sea lions, yeah, pardon me. 600 miles off the coast of Ecuador. It's, it's quite a ways out there. You don't realize how far it is out from Ecuador. But yes, sea lions, birds, reptiles, all kinds of uh, lizards out there and, and really interesting terrain. No mammals, though, because it's 600 miles out there. And, yeah. and, uh, but the, so we snorkeled tons, we hiked tons, took tons of pictures, between the nine of us, we took over 5,000 pictures. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Bravo. Yeah. And, but people live on the Galapagos Islands? Y- y- some of the islands. So not all the islands, but some of the islands, yes. And, and the only way you can live on one of the islands is if you marry into someone that is living on the island. So what the, do you mean? So it's, it, they're controlling the population. They're trying to keep the Galapagos the special place they are, not become overpopulated and overdeveloped. So they're protecting them. And um, I think it's Santa Fe, the, the one island, Santa Fe. But the only way you can move there is by marrying somebody. Otherwise, no, you can visit, but, you, you know, you can't take up residence there. What would be the ethnicity of the people that live there? So it's, it, Galapagos is actually a part of Ecuador. Okay. And so, so that's the country Spanish, that's Spanish-speaking. Spanish-speaking, yes. yeah. and you're Ecuadorian. Yeah. But... Galapagosian. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> and how many people live on there that are, are there a lot of? No. So 
I don't remember the exact population. I'm thinking, but I could be completely wrong, somewhere around 2,000. I mean, it's a you know, relatively small population, yes, that, that lives there. But there are quite a few people that visit, and tourism is a big part of the Galapagos. Uh, uh, you, you don't stay on the islands, though. You stay on a boat while you're there. We were on a boat for five days. And you didn't you know, get ill. No, Mark, Mark Witt, Mark and Vicky were on the trip with us, and Mark gets seasick, Johanna gets seasick, neither of them got seasick. Oh, that's Why? great. <laughs> well, they were taking... Uh, uh, Dramamine? Yeah, Dramamine, Boney. Because and, you're on the boat, and it's rocking. Like, these aren't large cruise ships. No, this the, the one we were on was a smaller uh, catamaran, only eight cabins, 16 people. At night, we had some rocking time. So in the day, we were hiking a lot, and we were snorkeling a lot, so you weren't just sitting on the boat rocking. But, boy, at night, we had two. They moved us from island to island at night, and two of the nights, we had suitcases, toothbrush, all kinds oh. of things flying around. As We had some rougher waters, but nobody got sick, thankfully. <laughs> that's crazy. Yeah. Yeah, because that's your bed. That's where you're sleeping. Yeah. I don't think I could do that, but I love that you all did it. Yeah. Um, that's a, We know that other family you mentioned. Can you tell us any secrets about Mark Witt? Does he snore? Is he a good traveler? <laughs> Is he a good scuba snorkeler? What can you reveal to us? So I don't have any bad things to say. You know, traveling, <laughs> traveling with Mark and Wiki was great. You know, they, they, the whole group, uh, two of the people not members of our Sabres, we didn't know at all, but we all got along great. We'd do another trip with any one of the nine. And, and you know, we've done a number of trips with, with Mark and Vicky, you know, weekend trips and and some running trips with the guys. And Mark's easy to get along with. Very, very nice easy. Guy. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Well, I love that you guys have made such close friends going to church together. Do you know what like, I love about Mark? That's kind of awesome. Tell me. I don't really know them. Oh, uh, Mark and Vicky are amazing. Well, they Mark have was the many? chair of my call committee. And and they're they're amazing. One of my our first experiences, why Mandy and I knew that we were in the right place, was because um, they had an auction item for Mozambique. I think that Lane ended up winning, so he could bring anyone to dinner. And so he ended up bringing uh, the Ewalds, uh, the Wises. and then it was your family. And then Mark is a chef. He's an amazing chef. And so Vicky's a great host, Mark's a chef, and we're having fine wine. We're, we're eating this great meal that Mark uh, produced. And um, all of a sudden, Mandy said, you know, Brian's bar trick is that he can play any song um, on the piano. And we go around the piano and we have the greatest time ever just throwing out songs, singing them. We learned about each other. Mandy going home, she's like, we made the right decision. Because that was probably like months into our first like year here. And so I it, I knew that Mark had my back, Lane had my back, the Ewalds. It was, it was a fun uh, night. And so we try to recreate that now. That's why we auction off <laughs> uh, him being a chef and me playing the piano now was because of that night. That's the little thing I'll toss out about the wits. Great family. Oh, and if fun. you haven't heard Benny Mardonis, Into the Night, yes. Google it, listen to it. The Weisses had not heard it, but yeah. very cool song. And, and what did you hear? Like a week after you, you visited and we had you trying to play it. Um, <laughs> so we, we had to hear it. Or like I, I figured it, we figured it out as soon as like I, I heard kind of the melody line, but that's like your song, right? It's a great 
great song. But it's your song. You guys were really <laughs> requesting it. So now every time we hear Into the Night, I'll pick you up. It's a perfect, uh, like, I do know late it. 70s, early 80s yeah. song. Who else oh, sings that? It's phenomenal. I Did don't someone know. cover that? Because I don't feel like I know uh, the name that you said. I'm letting you know, know you need song. to listen to yeah. it. It's a great song. It was a fun song for us to all sing and yeah. jam. Oh, I love yeah. that. Yeah. Who is your favorite band? Well, I always have a problem picking favorites because yeah, well, there's who's so many somebody I you like. Love? Well, this one will surprise people. I mean, and, and my, Iron music, my musical. I was just ACDC. Oh, <laughs> I was kidding, I, but I have, you do. I have great, great memories with ACDC. You know, that was my first concert, if you will. And I still, one of my best buddies is no longer with us. Uh, you know, it makes me a little bit clamped talking about him. But mm. whenever I hear an ACDC song now, I think of him and it's just a great memory. But, uh, now I started listening to country too. I like Thomas Rhett. And Same. <laughs> wow. Yeah, but I love. The only thing I haven't quite attired, acquired a taste for is rap. Uh, that's no. Yeah, not your cup of tea. No, that's okay. Um, what else can I ask you? I feel like we've covered a lot. Your kids, your long marriage, your exciting career, fun travels, church service. Getting ready to retire, that's our next big milestone. That's a big deal. I was going to say, what do you want to be when you grow up? Yeah, how do you feel like that's going to change in your life? Yeah, so so the target is April 1, so it's truly... Oh, like (laughs) when you're 55 and a half. Yes. (laughs) Look at you. That's really exciting. I was thinking we had like 10 more years. I thought it was 2021. Yeah, no, it's coming soon. So what will you do? Will you work on the board? Yeah, so... On the LSTC board, I'd like to maybe find another board uh, locally. We probably are going to relocate to a warmer climate. I don't like this conversation. (laughs) This took a real turn. Where are you guys going to go? That would make me so sad. Yeah, so right now we're really high on Greenville, South Carolina. And Greenville, because it's just like Naperville minus the winters. River through the middle. You can walk to 70 restaurants, college town. Uh, Clemson, 45 minutes away, mountains, oceans for They've already been trips. scoping it out. Yeah. <laughs> so, like, you're not going to snowbird? Probably not, although Because then at least here, you could come, we could still see you in the summer. Yeah, well, ha- and having lived here for 26 years Who's going to go ask people back. for money? <laughs> <laughs> hey. I'll be back. Although, Did hopefully not asking money you, on those. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, great, he's back again. Yeah. <laughs> Have you looked at a church there? Like, is that how serious you've looked? Funny you should ask, because we were just there this last weekend. It was our anniversary weekend. and, and uh, Happy anniversary. Thank, we, thank you. Uh, and, and so we did. We looked at a church, and I was looking for an ELCA church because being on the LSTC board now, I'm like, it would be nice to keep sure. an L- uh, ELCA affiliation. And we found one, Trinity, uh, right in downtown Greenville. Wow. Uh, really liked really interested. It's about half the size of our saviors, but a good size seem like they are vital and have lots of programs going on. And I don't know if it's the one yet, but I feel like I like don't like them right now. Like I feel like I'm just like, you know what? You know what? No, we want them. I think we're going to make you sign an agreement. You cannot be on the Greenville's podcast for Trinity's podcast. (laughs) You can only be there on this one. Oh, Lane, I'm excited for you, but that's a real lost star community. Are the wits going to move with you? Um, we'll see who we can recruit. We're yeah. definitely going to recruit people. Yeah. Uh, and they are getting close to 
retiring too. And where does your mom live? So she's in Williamsfield, Illinois. Oh, that's right. You said yeah. Central Illinois with yeah. your daughter. Yeah. So could you talk her into going down there, or how do you think you'll work that? Because that's so hard. Yeah, probably not. I mean, she she's fairly outgoing as well. Although she's so she de- has her community, and she knows six hundred people right. in Williamsfield now. Right? <laughs> she's the most popular woman there, yeah, I think, mayor, established. Right? Yes. And and so she has some. You know, she has a church yeah. community, faith community, and and just a, a network yeah. there. And so, but no. come January twentieth, she might be like, yeah. "This weather stinks." Yeah. Yeah, and, and we'll visit both ways. Uh, oh wow! Yeah. Well, that's a big deal. Yeah. Well, congratulations. Um, we're Thank excited you. for you. Sad for us. Thank you. Well, thanks for coming in to visit with us. Yeah, you're awesome. Thank you for Super sharing your story. Appreciate you. You're very welcome. Um, giving us your time and energy. Thank you. All right. Bye, everybody. Bye.